In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, for your presence with us, strengthen us, and reveal to us your will in everything that we do. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hears as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, good evening, everybody. God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Genesis. Um, last time uh, we studied Genesis uh, 22 and 23. Uh, 22 spoke about the sacrifice of Isaac, where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and the symbolism of that compared to um, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And then in chapter 23, it spoke about the death and the burial um, of Sarah, uh, the wife of Abraham. Um, today, uh, we're going to study uh, in uh, chapter 24. Um, and the main uh, focus and the main event that's happening here in Genesis 24 is that Abraham um, is getting old. And so he asked the servant to go and find a wife from among his people uh, uh, for his son, Isaac. Isaac, who is now um, grown. So we'll read um, this chapter and study it today, God willing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over, over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Okay. So as I said, Abraham was getting old. He was, uh, he was nearing death. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was concerned about the future of his son. And he wanted to make sure that he married someone from his own land among his own people because God had called Abraham to live among the Canaanites in the land of Canaan, which was eventually going to become the nation of Israel. But as of right now, it was full of pagans. Um, so he didn't want uh, Isaac to marry from among the people of the land. So he spoke to uh, his uh, servant, okay? Uh, and he told the servant, uh, go and... Uh, find a wife for Isaac among uh, his own people, okay? And uh, we read this oath uh, that he made, and he said, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, um, that you will not take a wife from among the Canaanite people. So um, what is this uh, oath? Uh, Father Caesarius of Arles, he said this about this oath. He says, therefore, Abraham said to his servant, Put your hand under my thigh and swear by the God of heaven and earth. Thus blessed Abraham, thus blessed Abraham said, put your hand on my thigh, as if he were saying, put your hand upon the altar, or put your hand upon the ark of the testament, or stretch forth your hand to God's temple and swear to me. He touched his thigh and swore by the God of heaven and earth. This was um, the understanding of this oath that he was making, like a very solemn vow. Um, because Abraham was very concerned that, you know, the, about the future of his son. Even though it is never mentioned uh, the name of this servant, uh, it, it only refers to the servant as 
the oldest servant of the house. Um, but Jewish tradition says that this was the, the same servant that was mentioned in Genesis 15, uh, which was Eliezer. So if you remember, um, back then, before Abraham had any offspring, he was concerned that when he dies, his whole inheritance and his house will be given to um, his servant because the servant was, he didn't have any children. So at the time, it said that the name of that servant was Eliezer. So Jewish tradition says that this servant, because it says that he is the oldest servant of the house, um, is actually Eliezer, the same person who was mentioned before um, in Genesis 15, that Abraham called to do this uh, service. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? <clears throat> but Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so we can see several things here. So first, we know that Abraham, okay, at the very beginning of the story in Genesis, um, the story of Abraham, Abraham was living in uh, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so this was in the land of Babylon. Then he went and traveled to a place called Haran, okay? And he lived there for some time. And then he finally moved from there and came to Canaan, which was the place that God had called him to be. Um, and so uh, when it says to send him back to his land, he's referring to Haran, okay? This is where uh, other members of his family uh, were, were living, okay? Um, and he didn't want his son to go back there lest they convince him to stay because um, here, you know, in the land of Canaan, um, he does not have, uh, you know, a large family or anything at this time. Um, and even though he is mighty, but, you know, his family is not that big. And so back in the land of Haran, if, if Isaac were to go there, he might just decide to stay there or his family might compel him to stay there. So um, we know that Isaac is continuing the covenant that God had made with his father, Abraham. And so he must remain in this land of Canaan, okay, until God's covenant is fulfilled. So here Abraham is, is making it very clear to the servant that you should not take Isaac there. Isaac will remain here, but you will go and find a wife from him and bring him back here, okay? So what are some things that we can learn about this? The first is the process of finding a wife for Isaac was going to be very hard, right? Um, the distance that this servant would have to travel was about a thousand miles round trip, right? So this is not a, an easy uh, journey by any means, but Abraham understood how important it was to find a spouse for Isaac, right? And, and that to find the right person for Isaac, not just any person and certainly not a person from among the Canaanites, even though that would be much more um, convenient, right? Uh, we see similar things happen, you know, with, for instance, uh, Samson. Samson, who was a judge, he felt that it was very, you know, it was a very simple thing for him to take wives among uh, the, the, the Canaanites, and he didn't have any problem with that, and that was a downfall for him. Solomon, as well, 
he took many wives from among the pagans and that was a downfall for him so there are many examples where when people marry into uh someone of a different faith uh that it causes them a lot of trouble and a lot of problems um and in general uh finding a spouse who is a good match and a good fit and a godly person is very important in proverbs 25 24 it says it is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman meaning it is it is so important that we found the right spouse it is better for us to live like in poverty to live you know in, in bad conditions than rather than to marry someone who is not the right person for us okay so this idea of uh, marrying, having Isaac marry the right woman was very, very important and crucial, which is why um, Abraham was willing to have his servant travel a thousand miles uh, in order to find her. Okay. Um, another kind of point that we find here is the fact that um, the, 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 the fact that, that uh, Isaac wasn't even going to meet her until she arrives, right? And maybe um, like nowadays people would see this like arranged marriage type of situation as being um, wrong or not ideal or difficult to accept um, and have a lot of resistance to it. Um, but Isaac accepted the outcome of this and it was seen that this is actually, um, you know, like, like will produce a good outcome. Like he, the servant will, able, will be able to find a good wife for Isaac in this way and that she will be the right person for him. OK, so so this trusted third party, Eliezer, the servant, he was the one who, um, you know, was chosen for this task. And and he was chosen because Abraham knew that he shared his values. He shared an understanding of Isaac. He knew who Isaac was. He had faith in God. He shared his same values. And so that the person that he would select would be a person who would be right and that in the end god is guiding this whole process okay um so why is this important because sometimes when when we are looking for a spouse um we can be our own worst enemy because sometimes we are looking for wrong things or we are deceived um by things like for instance in, in proverbs 31 it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, maybe people are looking for things that are deceitful and passing. Maybe people are looking for things that are really not that important and ignoring the things that are really are important. So when you have a trusted third party who is helping to make this choice, they are looking for the things that are not passing. They're looking for the things that are that are valuable, the things that are important, the, the good character of a person, the things that are not going to change um, but the things that are that are you know through their experience they know is going to bring uh, good things um, to that person. So sending this trusted servant Abraham knew that he would use good criteria in finding a spouse um, for Isaac. Um, another thing that we're going to see here when when we start reading about what's going to happen is that the servant is is relying on God's will to find the spouse. Okay, he's asking the question, what is the will of God? He didn't go and try to use his own criteria or his own way. He is going there on a journey, expecting that God is going to reveal somehow to him what is who is the person that he should choose. OK, and even though he didn't know how that would work, he didn't know what was going to happen. But he trusted and believed that through the prayers of Abraham, that that, that God would intercede and God would allow 
this uh, process to be a success, okay? So the important thing here when finding a spouse is that we identify that God's will is more important than my own will. We are, we are not able to make such a decision because we cannot tell the future. We, we don't know how, what the future will hold. Like when we are trying to say how, who is the person that I will marry? Well, even if a person seems fine today, how is it that's going to change in the future? We don't know. We just, we don't know how life will unfold. We don't know how circumstances will unfold. And so in the end, we, we trust in God's will and say, God, choose for me because I cannot choose for myself. I don't know for myself. Okay, how is it that I can choose this? So God knows the future. God knows a person. Um, God knows the direction that things will go. And so that's why we shouldn't um, be so clinging to a specific person. Like, you know, a lot of times, like if someone is in a relationship um, and they're hoping that will lead to marriage and then for whatever reason or the other, the relationship ends and it doesn't continue and it doesn't lead to marriage and one person or the other in that relationship is heartbroken as a result and they're bitter and angry and, and disappointed, okay? But if we look at it from a different perspective and we say, well, um, maybe, maybe you just don't realize that this would not have been a right fit. Not, not because the person is evil or bad or, 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 you know, but maybe we just wasn't going to be a good fit. And you, you can't predict that. You can't know that, right, at this point. You just can't know. But God knows. And if God decides that he wants to end something before it begins, then it's good. It's a good thing. It's something that, that even though it might hurt and feel bad, but it is a good thing because we don't know. There's a, a famous verse in Proverbs 14, 12 that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Meaning there is, there's something that looks totally good for us, right? It looks totally right for us. It looks like, like that's the right choice to make. And yet in the eyes of God, he knows that this choice will lead us to death. It will lead us to something that's not good. So something that we wouldn't have predicted and we wouldn't have known. And yet for us, it seems completely innocent and good. So here, the servant searching for God's will, he's not looking for his own will. We don't even see here like him talking to Isaac and saying to Isaac, so tell me your criteria. Tell me what you want. You know, we don't see any of that. We see simply this man going and, and, and through the will of God, discovering who is the person that uh, God chooses to marry Isaac. Okay. Um, Abraham told his servant that God will prosper him. Right. And, uh, and his trust was in God. And he said, it says that an angel will accompany him on the journey. Right. An angel will accompany him on the journey says that in verse 7. It says, to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. God, Abraham is so confident that God will be with Eliezer, the servant, and he says there is an angel that is going to go. And, and we know that in many places in Scripture, um, there are angels that are helping, that are helping us. You know, one famous example of this is in the story of Tobit. Um, in the story of Tobit, uh, there is a, a, a boy, Tobias, who is on a journey, and his traveling companion is actually Archangel Raphael in disguise, and he doesn't know that that is him, right? God sent him to minister to help uh, Tobias on the journey. Also, in Hebrews 1.14, uh, St. Paul says about angels, he says, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So that is one of the roles of angels, 
that angels are here to help us. Angels are here to guide us. Angels are here to reveal the will of God to us. And that's why each of us has a guardian angel, right? And that, that angel is here to help us on our journey of salvation. So, um, so here Abraham is making it clear that there's going to be an angel who is traveling with Eliezer and he's going to make him to be uh, prosperous. Okay. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Okay. So the city of Nahor uh, is named after a member of Abraham's family. So Nahor is the name of Abraham's brother and it's also the name of Abraham's grandfather. Okay. And the city of Nahor was the near the city of Haran, which is the place where um, Abraham was living before he came down to the land of Canaan. Okay. So again, um, it's, it's about a 500 mile one way trip uh, from where Abraham is now to the city of Nahor. Okay. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. So there's two important principles here in these two verses. Okay. In verse 11, we see that this servant, Eliezer, is using his mind. Right. So he's he's saying, well, um, where would be a place that I could meet people that could potentially be the one that God will choose? Well, I will go to the place where there is a well of water by the city and the evening so that this is the time when women go out to draw water. And so I will be able to meet people. OK, so in, in verse 11, we see the servant used his mind. He made an effort to be in the place where he would find potentially a person who God would choose. OK, so again, in the idea of choosing a spouse right? A person who is looking for a spouse needs to put in effort to do so, like trying to do things to meet people, okay? Um, don't just expect that because God is going to, you know, is going to work and is going to help us to see the right person that somehow we're going to do nothing and magically a person will appear, okay? We have to put our effort to do, to do that. Um, also, I mean, sometimes people who are not at all involved in the church, you know, they don't come to church regularly. They, 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 they really have nothing to do with the church. When it comes time for them to want to get married, suddenly they want to show up and be there and be present. Because why? Not because they believe that the church is important or that they are str struggling for their salvation, but simply because they want to meet somebody. Okay. And this is not, does not work. Okay. This does not work. If somebody is already in the church and is developing relationships naturally, then it's something that could happen. It's something that people meet each other and they understand and they know each other from, you know, serving together in the church or being in the church together and so on. Um, but part of making an effort means that I should be in the places where um, this can potentially happen. I need to make an effort to do that. In verse 12, we see the, the flip side of this, which is his reliance on God. So he didn't trust his own effort, right? But he trusted God to make the final decision, okay? God was the one who was going to show him what to do, and Eliezer did not know. God is the one who's guiding this process, right? So again, for our, uh, you know, for, for our case, like for someone who's looking to be married, 
Um, yes, they are putting in their effort, but in the end, they're trusting for God to guide the situation and lead him or her in the right direction. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Okay. So here, like Eliezer is praying and he's telling God, God, I want you to show me the person you have chosen. And here is the way I want you to show me. Okay. Um, so again, the, the, the servant is open to God's working. And here he's like telling God to show him a sign. Okay. But what kind of sign is he showing? Is, is asking God to show. He's, he's looking for a characteristic of the person, right? He's looking for a characteristic that this girl that he's looking for, that she may be hospitable, generous, kind, thinking about others, going the extra mile. Like, like this action is not simply like a sign where we say, God, just show me some miraculous sign like about the person that you want me to marry. No, it's show me and reveal to me through the character of the person, right? That the character is a good character. That I'm that I'm looking like like this is why Eliezer was wise because he was looking for something that reflected that this girl had a good character, that she was going to be a good wife, not just a random sign for no reason. Okay, it's it's related specifically to the character of the person. Okay. Um, what are some things that we need to be using to determine the will of God? Okay, when we're making a decision about something. And we'll see a lot of these play out here and what's about to happen. The first one is through the word of God. That we read the word of God to understand the way that God works, to understand God's will, to understand like, like who God is. And God can speak to us through his word. That's one way to determine the will of God. Another is through circumstances, okay, that happen that God does things to make it clear to us that he wants us to go in a certain direction. And, and that's what's going to happen here. Also through people, things that people say or things that people do, okay? Through our own comfort and peace that God places into our heart that also reveals to us God's will, okay? So we're going to see a lot of these working now in what is about to happen. Um, another thing is um, the church fathers speak about these wells, okay, and this well that here, um, the servant of uh, Abraham is standing by when he says, behold, here I stand by the well of water. The well represents baptism, okay, and Isaac represents Christ, and Rebecca represents the church. So it's like saying that the, the, the meeting or the marriage of Isaac to Rebecca is done through the baptism in the sense that Baptism is what makes us to become the bride of Christ, right, to our bridegroom. So, so, so the idea that the well is there uh, means that it is through baptism that we enter into a relationship with God. It is through baptism that we become uh, the, the brides of Christ. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. 
Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, uh, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. So Rebecca was Nahor's granddaughter. Okay, Rebecca was great. So she was actually a relative of Isaac. Okay, so, so you know, again, we start to see certain things happening that, um, you know, that, that wouldn't necessarily, like, like you wouldn't necessarily say that this is a coincidence, but you see God is beginning to work and, and bringing about something that would cause comfort to the servant of Abraham to feel like this could be the one that God has chosen. Okay, she was eligible. Um, she was, uh, they knew who she was because she was a relative, okay? And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So the exact thing that Eliezer had prayed and asked God to reveal to him about her being generous and giving water to his camels is the exact same thing that has just happened, okay? So the criteria the servant used to determine if she was the one, again, had to do with her character. And here we see a reflection of her character, right? That she was very generous and hospitable. She had the heart of a servant, okay? And so even though it says that she was beautiful, that wasn't what he used to determine. Like he didn't look at her and say, oh, she was beautiful, Isaac will love her, no. He, he, he looked at something deeper than that, something that is more important than that, okay? So God here is helping um, the servant to realize his will because he is open to it, you know? The servant is open to the will of God. He's looking for the will of God, and so God is showing him, you know, what is his will. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as, uh, so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Then, uh, so she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, uh, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward his master. As for me being on the way, on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Okay, so number one, when he, he gave her um, like a gift um, to like reward her for her generosity. And, and it was clear now through everything that had happened that it was God's will, that, that God was revealing his will to Eliezer about her. Um, and not only did Rebecca serve him as he was hoping, like with the camels, but she turned out to be a relative. She was unmarried and she is now offering him a place to stay. Right, so all of these obstacles, like you can imagine someone who is traveling this long journey to a place that he, you know, has never been um, and not knowing anyone, being a stranger, right? And now all these things are beginning to, all these doors are beginning to open to him. He meets somebody, he, 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 he's invited to stay there. She ends up being a relative of Isaac. Like, you know, she has a good character, she's available. All these 
factors starting to play into it, okay? Um, and and it, it's really beginning to open his eyes to where now he believes that this has truly been revealed to him by God. That's why it says he bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord, okay? Really, things could not have gone better in any other way, you know, than, than what had happened. And so this is one of the ways that, again, like God shows us his will. It's through that everything is like going smoothly. You know, like they're like like potential obstacles are easily dealt with, like potential problems, like things that 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 are difficult and complex are just solved. Right. We begin to feel God's working and in the things that we are doing. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the, and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. So it's clear that the whole family is actually very hospitable and has that same heart of the servant because they are all treating this man very kindly. They're bringing him in, they're feeding his camels, they're you know, they're providing for him. They're giving water to wash his feet and the feet of the other people that were with him. Right. Again, further confirming God's blessing upon this family and upon this journey that Eliezer had come to and had come on. Food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. Here he wants to explain why he came. Okay. And he is not there to enjoy their hospitality, but he is on a mission for the sake of his master. And see, truly, Eliezer is, he's not a man who's thinking about himself. He truly is a servant. Like he's truly coming here because he is on this mission and he wants to give to um, this family. He wants to give to Abraham. He wants to give to Isaac. He wants to serve them and do what is right in the eyes of God and to fulfill this mission that he is on, right? He's not interested in his own pleasure. He's only interested to do the will of his master, okay? And he's not even willing to use his position to gain anything for himself. Like, he's not there to exploit the situation. He's not there to benefit. He's not there to, to think of himself in any way, okay? So a true servant of God cares to please his master, and, and any authority that he has been given because of his position he sees and knows that he is a steward, that he is he's using this um, authority for the purpose of, of his master and not for his own benefit, right? And so we can ask ourselves this question, you know, do we use our positions to gain power, to gain money or other personal benefits from the fact that we have certain positions? You know, like, like, like one thing that comes to my mind is, you know, sometimes maybe in a, in a corporation, a person... Um, you know, who works for a company is sent on a business trip. And on that business trip, okay, you can go and um, you're going to eat, uh, you know, you're going to do things, okay? So are you going to go to the absolute most expensive place 
and you're going to say, well, the company is paying for me. So I'm going to go to the absolute most expensive place because, you know, they're going to pay and I can benefit. You know, do I see myself as trying to exploit the situation to exploit the position that I have for my own personal benefit? Or do I see myself as doing a good work? Like I'm there doing a good work for the sake of another, not for my own sake. And so certainly we can see Eliezer here is not thinking about himself, his comfort, his hunger. He's thinking about his master and about completing the will of God in this situation. So now Eliezer is going to recount essentially the story um, of what happened with him from the time that, you know, he, he, he left and he's going to explain about Abraham, what happened to him. And, and then all his journey all the way until this point, okay? So he says, um, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great. And he has, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink, and she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who milked the board to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Okay, so um, here, like I said, the servant, he recounts the whole story. He talks about Abraham. So they haven't, you know, they know Abraham, but they don't know anything that's happened to him since he's left them, right? Which was many years ago, right? And all these things that have happened to him and the fact that he has a son and the fact that God has blessed him and that God has made a covenant and like all these things, right? And, and so here now Isaac is ready to be married and he's like giving them a background on everything that's happened to their family uh, from the beginning and this whole you know, mission that he's on and what he's, you know, what he's doing and so on. And he emphasizes very much in the story, the work of God, right? He, he, he doesn't just say, um, you know, Abraham assigned me this task and I came here and I met you. Like he's speaking about 
the means by which he came, the, 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 the means by which he is searching for God's will, the prayer that he prayed, okay? This is important. Why? Because the, the reason that this family would feel comfortable to give their daughter in marriage to go with this servant who was a stranger to them, with him to a land that's 500 miles away, never to see her again, trusting in everything that he says, is only because they also believe that this is God's will, right? That's the only justification that they could give to do this, right? Because they are going to have to trust everything that he's saying. They're going to have to trust that this is actually the will of God who is, who, you know, is calling this to happen, okay? So the fact that the servant is revealing all this, is saying all this, right, is, is, is showing them the working of God. And it is only through them seeing the working of God that they can now make this choice. It also says something about how, you know, when you have a group of believers that all believe in God and they are all, you know, working together collectively in something and spending time together and they all want the will of God to be done. And God can do great things, right? God can do great things through us when we all have the same mindset and we all have the same faith believing in God, that we are working together as a community with God at the center of that community, okay? So here, just as Eliezer sees the will of God, Rebecca's family also sees the will of God in the situation. Um, and so even though, yes, it is definitely the family's decision, you know, they must agree, but the reason that they feel comfortable to agree is because of the story that Eliezer just told them and how they see clearly the hand of God working that, that this is what he wants. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Okay, so he's saying, if you agree, send her with me. And if you don't agree, if you don't agree, tell me so that I can continue my search, right? That I may turn to the right hand or to the left. This is important too, because Sometimes we believe that we know the will of God for sure. You know, sometimes we believe that we know the will of God for sure. And we don't consider that we might be mistaken. Okay. Um, you know, I can think of situations where people believe that they knew the will of God. Um, and let's say about some important decision that they were making. And they believe that God was directing them in a certain direction, whether it be in marriage or in something else. Right. And let's say in marriage and you have two people that are engaged and they feel very certain that they will be married. And yet right before the wedding or something happens and they end up breaking off the relationship. And of course, it's very difficult and devastating for the two of them. Okay. Even though, um, you know, you, they, they might have believed all along that this is God's will, that God is blessing it, that God is allowing it. That God, that, that God is, you know, that they are doing the will of God by continuing in this relationship. But right before the end, something happened and it broke off, okay? So sometimes we believe that we know the will of God because things appear to look like they are going in a certain direction. It appears that God's will is being done. But at some point, God reveals to us, no, this is not my will, you know? Why is it that God doesn't make this clear at the beginning? I don't know. Why isn't it that it's, 
you know, simpler to, to figure out. We don't know. And every situation is different. God has some reason why. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that we do not really know the will of God until the will of God is accomplished, until it is done. Until something is done, we cannot say that we know the will of God. This is why we need to be very careful because it's easy for us to be deceived, believing that we know the will of God for certain. I can say I believe that God is leading me in a certain direction. We can say this. I believe that God wants me to do this. That's, that's true. But I can't say and I can't believe that I know for certain the will of God. I can't say that God has made it clear and known to me what direction I should go because it, can, it, it is not the case. It is not the case, right? Unless a God comes to us like as the, he came to the prophets and he told the prophets clearly and, you know, with words saying this is what's going to happen. Unless that happens, which that doesn't happen usually, okay, um, we can't know. Because when we talked about discovering the will of God, we talked about reading in the scripture. We talked about circumstances. We talked about what other people are going to say. We talked about having peace. All of those things can potentially be mistaken. You know, like, you know, especially if I have a very strong desire for one outcome. Like if I have a very, very strong desire to marry a certain person, if I have a very strong desire for accepting a certain job, if I have a very strong desire for moving to a certain place and I'm, and I'm trying to make this decision, then even without realizing it, I'm going to read into all these things that the will of God is matching with what I want. It's easy for us as human beings to deceive ourselves. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful, um, you know, what we, what we believe truly is the will of God. So there always needs to be some um, level of skepticism, right? Where we are skeptical about truly, you know, yes, I believe as of right now that this is the direction that God wants me to go, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a possibility that it's not. And I believe that at some point, maybe God is going to reveal to me that it might not be the right way. And if that happens, okay, it happens. Um, I, I, sh I shouldn't think that I know for sure the direction that God leads me until his will is actually accomplished. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord we cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Like very quick to answer based on what? Based on the presence of God in this story. Once it becomes clear to them like this is really God's will because of everything that happened. It's like, okay, take, take her. If this is, this is God's will, then we will do it. And it says what? We cannot speak to you either bad or good. It's like we, we don't know anything about Isaac. We can't say that he's a good or bad. We can't say that we know him. We can't say anything from a logical perspective to make us to decide one way or the other whether this is the right decision or not. But the thing comes from the Lord, right? So because the thing comes from the Lord, then I don't need to understand it. I don't need to know good or bad. Right? And this is an important point of faith for us. When something comes from the Lord, I don't need to understand it. And I need to trust the Lord, not because I'm convinced, not because I understand, not because I know, but simply because it comes from the Lord. And, and this is a perfect example here. I mean, if you, if you think about her family and, and Re Rebecca herself, 
for her to be willing to go and to do this and to travel this way and to go there, right? It's because the thing comes from the Lord. Like that's the only thing that gives comfort in this. That's the only thing that gives a sense of conviction and, and that we know this is, you know, what we are, what we should do is because the thing comes from the Lord. Okay. And, 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 and that's the most important factor here. Again, like look at how all this unfolded. Eliezer could not have convinced them any other way. Eliezer could not have just been a man who came there and he happened to see uh, Rebecca and he went up and talked to her and, and then he went to her family and said, you know what, I think Rebecca would be great for my master. Um, come and, you know, let me take her and marry him. No, it's, it's, because, it's because it came from the Lord. It's because the way that it came about, right? Not because it came from a human being, right? Not, but because it came from God, okay? Um, so this is what produced the comfort right, in all of them to do this. This is what we call a leap of faith, you know, when St. Peter went and he walked on the water with Christ, this was a leap of faith. This was saying, I don't know, I, I know it's not possible to walk on water. I know it's not possible. And yet I see Christ doing it right in front of me. And so when St. Peter said, you know, for me to know that it's you, come call me on the water so that I will walk on the water with you, right? This was a leap of faith. And when St. Peter walked, stepped out of the boat, he actually was able to walk on water at the beginning when his eyes were fixed on the Lord and he knew that, that God was with him and that God was allowing him to do this. He only began to sink when he began to look around him and realize the storm and realize the waves and realize what was actually happening. That's when he began to sink. Okay, so St. Peter did not have to understand the mechanics of how to walk on water. He didn't understand how that would happen, right? But he just knew that God was there. The thing comes from the Lord. So we should always remember this, this phrase, the thing comes from the Lord. If something is truly coming from the Lord, then it is good. Even if it doesn't feel good, even if we don't understand it, even if it makes no sense to us, if the thing comes from the Lord, then it is good. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. The, then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he said, uh, uh, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent Rebecca, their sister and their nurse and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. So of course, it was very sudden, you know, that he comes on one day and then the next day, uh, you know, we're going to take Rebecca and go, okay? So it was hard for them to let her go so quickly. They wanted them to stay longer. But Eliezer, his focus was, again, on his mission, right? He was on this mission to find the one whom God had chosen for Isaac and to bring her back, right? And so there was no point in waiting for him, right? And actually, um, waiting could have potentially made them to change their mind. Right. Like sometimes we, um, you know, when when we when we experience the will of God so clearly, 
and it's so obvious and clear to us, we feel a sense of conviction. But then if we don't act right away and if we delay, we find that maybe that conviction begins to fade. We don't really have that conviction that we had at the beginning, you know. Um, so this characteristic, which actually a characteristic that we find in Abraham, who always obeyed God quickly and did not delay. Like when God told uh, Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac. It says that the next morning, early in the morning, he started on his journey to go and sacrifice Isaac. He didn't say, well, let me just think about it for a few days. Let me just get myself psyched up about it. Let me just, you know, come to peace with it. Let me just spend a few more days to make, you know, to say goodbye to my son before I go and offer him as a sacrifice. It says he went immediately, right? So, so it, to truly obey God well, you know, we need to work immediately. We need to do things immediately. When God says, that's the time, you know, because he's saying it then. He's saying it right then. He wants us to obey him right away, not to delay, not to procrastinate, not to like, you know, make excuses to find time to wait and wait and wait. And then in the end, we might not even do the thing that originally we felt like we, we wanted to do. Okay. So they went to her and they asked her, do you want to go right now? And she said she wanted to go. Like she had such comfort about it that she was willing to go right then. And so, she, so she, they sent her away. They sent her with him. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of ten thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Why are they saying this? Because now she will become a part of the covenant, right? The covenant that God made with Abraham for him to be the father of many nations, right? And that covenant will be fulfilled through Isaac, through Isaac and now through Rebecca as well. So they are, they're, they're, they're praying and they're, they're blessing her and they're saying, may you become the mother of tens of, uh, of mother of thousands of ten thousands, which is what she was going to be. Right. So she this was not simply just a marriage. This was the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and then um, afterward through their son, Jacob. Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now, Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. When she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servants told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay. So again, we see the well, right? When Isaac met Rebekah, he met her, uh, it says what? By the way of Beer Lahai Roy, which Beer, again, Beer means well. So it's the same symbolism again about baptism that the bride of Christ, who is Rebecca, is meeting the groom, okay, who is the Lord uh, person, uh, in the person of Isaac by the well, which is the symbol of baptism. Okay, so we see that happening again. Um, and, and here we see that Rebecca is out of modesty and humility. She is covering herself. When she sees um, Isaac coming, she covers him, her, herself 
um, with a veil. And so she was not trying to like boast in her in her presence or glory in her appearance, but she was very modest. Okay. Also, there is a symbolism here about what it says about the, the bringing her into his mother's tent. So it says what in the last two verses here, um, or in the last verse, in verse 67. It says, then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What is the symbolism here? So Sarah represents the Jews, okay? Sarah represents the Jews. And so her tent is like the house of the Jews, the house of the Jews, like the synagogue, okay? So like we said, Isaac represents Christ, okay? And Rebecca represents the church, who is the bride of Christ, okay? So what this is saying, it's a, like a, it's a symbolism for what? The Jews, when they rejected Christ, okay, it's like they died in Sarah. Like the, the death of Sarah represents that the Jews rejecting Christ and being separated from Christ, okay? Or this is now I'm talking about in the New Testament. So Christ established a new relationship with the church because in the Old Testament, the people of God were the Jews. In the New Testament, the people of God were the church, okay? So it's like after Sarah died, which is the relationship with the Jews, the rejection, the Jews rejected Christ. After that relationship died, Christ established a new relationship with the church. And instead of the synagogue, right, which was the house of God, okay, in the Old Testament, right, in the temple, Isaac brought Rebekah into Sarah's tent, right? Like Isaac is, is replacing the relationship. God is replacing the relationship that he had with the Jews, as now replacing it with the relationship with the church, right? So Isaac is representing Christ. Rebecca is representing the church. And now in the new covenant, there is a relationship between Christ and the church that replaces the relationship between uh, God and the Jews in the Old Testament, which is why when it says that he's bringing her into his mother's tent, it's like replacing that relationship, right? So this is more foreshadowing. Um, about the, the 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 fulfillment of the covenant that God is making here, and how Rebecca is going to be a part of the fulfillment of this covenant. Okay, um, that's uh, that's the end of this chapter. So this was a long chapter. God willing, next time we'll continue um, starting in chapter twenty-five. So let's just uh, conclude in a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you grant us to be able to see your will working in our lives and as the servant of Abraham, to be able to acknowledge and to understand your working and to seek, O Lord, your working in our lives and to see you present with us, dealing with us, O Lord, in mercy and granting us to know, O Lord, what it is that we do not know and leading us down the path that is right for us. We ask, O God, for your goodness. We ask you to be patient with us and to forgive our sins and to grant us your peace in all things. Through the prayer of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.